Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, continuing our dialogue about practical issues related to ministry leadership. Well, two things flow together that produce the theme for today's podcast. First, I recently had a conversation with a ministry leader who reported to me a very uh, tense, difficult, conflict-filled encounter with a person over a request for benevolence assistance from their church. And then uh, the second stream flowing into that is uh, coming down to the holidays, end of year financial pressures, winter time, which often produces more demands on benevolence accounts. Those two things flowing together uh, have produced in me a desire to do this podcast today on developing effective benevolence ministries, particularly uh, through local churches. Now, I did this something like this on the podcast about three years ago during COVID, and I want to talk about some of those same principles today, but add a few thoughts that I've had along the way that will help us to develop these kind of effective, need-meeting, ministry-accomplishing, uh, spiritually-focused benevolence ministries through churches. When you're thinking about benevolence ministry, there are several key questions that you need to answer up front to help you shape the kind of ministry you're going to do. The first question is, do you as a church and church leader want to account for the money? Now, what I mean by that is, do you want to receive the money as a church, account for how it's received and from whom it's given, and then also account for how it's distributed? Uh, if the answer to those questions is yes, then you are going to need a control system put in place to accomplish these goals. You're going to need a control system about how you're going to solicit and receive offerings for benevolence. You're going to have to have a control system for how you're going to account for, manage, uh, preserve, and distribute the resources. And you're going to have to have a control system that includes some level of accountability for how the resources were used. Now, don't be alarmed by all of this control system language. If you're a church of any size, you likely already have these systems in place for other kinds of giving in your church. For example, you have a way of soliciting and receiving missions gifts, and you have a way of preserving those gifts until the appropriate time for them to be used are for distributing them on to the organizations or the people for which they were given. And then you have a way of accounting for that and demonstrating how the resources were used and the fact that they were used appropriately as the donor intended. So you likely already have this pattern of control systems in place in other areas, but you're going to have to expand it to include benevolence ministries if your answer to the question of do you want to account for the money is yes. I would also say that if you're going to account for the money, uh, it is likely that you're going to receive more money because people can give to your benevolence fund uh, in tax-deductible ways. Uh, they can give in ways that are not only beneficial to the donor, but also beneficial to the recipient. So there are some advantages to uh, giving in this way, and uh, I think one of them is you will get more money. But what if your answer is no? You say, no, we really don't want to account for the money. Uh, we want this to be a much more organic process. Uh, we want people to simply help each other or help people that they see in need. Well, if the answer to your question is no, then 
The first thing I would say is be sure you distance your church finances from your benevolence ministries. Make sure that people clearly understand that any money given or received in this uh, mutual sharing of resources kind of benevolence approach does not include your church financial uh, practices. That means that the gifts aren't tax deductible. No one's accounting for them. There's no record being given. It truly is secret giving between individuals or from one individual to another to help with benevolence need. Now, you might also risk by not having a benevolence uh, fundraising effort, greater competition uh, for agendas in fundraising. In other words, if you are as a church going to raise money for missions or for buildings or for other kind of special needs, but you're not going to do it for benevolence, then somebody somewhere is going to be talking about benevolence giving, and that may turn into a competition uh, at the very time you're trying to raise money, for example, for a Christmas missions offering, uh, some other groups in your church or some other individuals may be promoting giving instead to help individuals with benevolence needs. I think the best answer to the question for a local church is, yes, you want to account for the money, and you're going to have a benevolence uh, ministry that has finances that are managed just like the other aspects of your church's finances are managed. A second question is, are you going to help church members attenders, community members, or just anyone. Now, there are uh, reasons, pro and con, for taking any one of these positions. Uh, First of all, you could say that your benevolence ministry is going to focus on members only. Now, why would you do that? Well, because you believe that giving is uh, in the New Testament church was giving to support the needs of widows and orphans and people in need, and it was designed to strengthen and focus the church. And it was not necessarily designed to help every single person in every single community, but was instead designed uh, to be a support to the Christians who were trying to help other Christians. So it's perfectly legitimate if you want to limit your benevolence ministries from your church to members only, you can do so. But I don't think while there is a biblical pattern for this, there is necessarily a biblical mandate for it. I think you could also say that we're going to extend our benevolence ministry past our members uh, to our attenders, to people who have attended our church or who've been a part of our church or who have uh, in some way been connected to our church. And then you could also go even beyond that and say, we're going to extend our benevolence ministry uh, even to uh, the community to anyone who might come into our awareness who has needs. So these are sort of the three levels, if you will, that you could decide you're going to extend your ministry to in in meeting benevolence needs. Members, attenders, or anyone. Now, of course, uh, the advantage of doing it to members only is that you have a very, very clearly defined group You can have heightened accountability. You can know more about the real needs of the people you're helping. You can address underlying issues that are perhaps producing the benevolence need, like uh, addictions or misuse of resources or laziness. You can do these things with members. Uh, The advantage of extending it to attenders or even into the community is that your benevolence ministry takes on a uh, demonstration of compassion and love by the church to the community component. And it also can take on an evangelistic component that you help people uh, and serve them in these practical ways 
uh, to meet their need, yes, of course, but also to gain the opportunity to share the gospel with them along the way. So again, the answer to the question, are you going to help members, attenders, or anyone, meaning your community? Uh, while it's sometimes more difficult and messier and uh, does cause you to make some m- mistakes because you can't know fully the, everything about every person in your community, I would advocate that benevolence ministry should be beyond the members and should include at least attenders and maybe even broader to the community as a way to demonstrate the love of Christ, to show the compassion of the church for the people in the community, and to gain opportunity for sharing the gospel in a community. So then that leads us to a third key question, and that is, what kinds of needs do you want to meet? What kinds of needs do you want to meet? For example, um, are you going to provide food? Are you going to provide uh, food stuffs by actually giving away food, or are you going to provide the capacity to purchase food by giving vouchers or gift certificates or something like that? Are you going to provide clothing? Same thing. Are you going to provide a clothing closet or a clothing distribution center, or will you provide clothing that would be given by a gift certificate or by voucher or something like that? Another question is, will you help provide shelter? In other words, will you pay rent? Will you provide hotel rooms? And even in the context or subset of rent, uh, what about utilities? Will you pay electric bill, gas bill, water bill? Will you pay to assist someone so they can not only be in their home, but be in their home more comfortably? What about medical care? Uh, Will you take on the responsibility for for providing medical care? Uh, Will you... uh, as a part of that, take on the responsibility of transportation, of sending people to obtain medical care, of paying for flights or paying for uh, hotels, paying for meals, these kinds of things. And if you're sending the person, will you send a caregiver or a family member to make sure that they have someone there to meet their emotional needs and provide support for them while they're going through treatment? Now, I'm not here advocating that you do all of this. I'm simply saying that a benevolence ministry will always have limited resources. It really doesn't matter if you have $1,000 or a $1 million. There's going to be a cap to what you can do to help other people. So because of that, it's important to identify what kinds of things you will do. Uh, The first church I pastored had a robust benevolence ministry. I inherited it when I arrived as a pastor. I saw fairly quickly that it was well done and was an asset to both our church and our community. And so I simply supported what had already been put into place. And in that particular church, they had made the decision that they were going to focus on food, clothing, and shelter. And that was what they were going to limit the benevolence uh, to. Now, Uh, This worked well in the community where we were living. Uh, They simply said, we provide food, clothing, and shelter to meet immediate needs. We do not provide transportation, medical care, long-term assistance, anything about any of that. Now, occasionally, uh, we would stretch that food, clothing, and shelter uh, to include some transportation if we were trying to get people into transport, into shelter or into a place where they could be housed or something like that. But we did have limits. And in every church that I've been a part of since then, there have been benevolence policies that set limits on the kinds of needs that would be met. 
So uh, these three key questions, I think, form the foundation of thinking through your benevolence ministry. Do you want to account for the money? And if so, what does that mean? How will you do it? And what, what will it take to accomplish that? Are you going to help? Who are you going to help? Members, attenders, or the community? And what kinds of needs are you going to meet? Food, clothing, shelter, medical, transportation, etc. Making some limits or some delineations about this before you start helping people on an individual basis. Now, in answering these key questions, there's a second big issue that I want to address, and that is, what are the models of how to do benevolence ministry? Well, there are basically three models that I want to talk about on the podcast. Number one, the first model is to do your benevolence through an outside organization. So this means that you don't do any direct assistance to anyone. Uh, You provide financial assistance to an organization in your community that provides whatever it is you think needs to be provided, food, clothing, shelter, medical care, transportation, etc., And you refer every benevolence request to that organization. Now, what are some strengths and weaknesses of this? Well, first of all, um, one strength is that the donations can be made by individuals to your church, or your church can make its own donation on an annual basis or on a quarterly basis to the organization. So in some ways, it simplifies the financial situation. You can simply say to your church, we are a partner with the Salvation Army or we are a partner with a, uh, you know, a community uh, a benevolence ministry like a, a gospel uh, 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 preaching ministry or gospel crusade ministry or something that's in, a, in, in an inner city. Uh, you can partner with one of these and you can raise money in your church for the organization, or you can simply say, uh, we, we have a benevolence goal of $10,000 this year, and we're going to give it to this organization to assist with benevolent needs in our community, and we're challenging the church to give toward that goal. And then whatever doesn't happen, if it's above, you give more, but if it's less, you take church resources and you fill up that commitment and you make that gift at the appropriate time of the year. Now, that's one uh, good thing about using an outside organization. Another is that outside organizations typically have intake systems that help them keep records of who they're helping and how they're helping them. Now, this has some real advantages. One, it helps them, it helps them be more effective at diagnosing uh, what's happening in the lives of applicants and of providing the real help they may need. So, for example, uh, you may have an organization like Salvation Army that is able to discern if a person is dealing with mental illness or dealing with drug addiction or dealing with alcoholism that is driving their need for benevolence. And the group may say, we will be able to help you with this short-term need, but only in terms of helping you with the real underlying issues as well. And we have the resources organizationally to do that. And so uh, that's that's one real advantage. Another real advantage is an outside organization because they typically uh, keep records and, uh, and, and have a sense of clientele that they're dealing with in a community. They can limit what I call serial abusers. This is someone who, goes, who keeps coming back to your church and asking for help over and over again or, or someone 
who goes to your church and asks for help, and next month goes to First Methodist, and next month goes to Trinity Baptist, and next month goes to the Episcopalians, and the next month to the Lutherans, and the next month to the Church of Christ, and the next month is back to the Baptist. Serial abusers who go from church to church to church uh, trying to get the help, they, the benevolence help that they know might be available to them uh, in order to sustain the lifestyle that they're currently living. I know what you're thinking. Really? There's people that actually do that? There absolutely are. And so having an outside organization do the vetting, if five or six churches are all using the same outside organization, helps a community to do better benevolence work because it isn't funding these serial abusers. Now, of course, the big negative of an outside organization is you you lose the personal interaction with people you're trying to help. And so obviously then you would lose the opportunity to make benevolence a disciple-making a a moment for for a member or an evangelistic moment for an attender or a person in the community. Uh, You lose the opportunity for members of your church to have hands-on opportunity to show love and compassion to people in both the membership or the community. And so there is that loss of interpersonal dynamic and personal connection when you use an outside organization. Now, Uh, One way to use an outside organization is to use a combination of an outside organization and uh, an internal methodology that only helps members of your church. So, for example, uh, someone comes to you from the community and says, we need rental assistance, you would be able to say, uh, you know, well, we would refer you to this community organization because we support them financially and they provide rental assistance. Please go and apply through them or let us send someone to help you go there and apply through them. And we'll try to help you to get what you need. Whereas if a church member came to you and said, as a member of the church, I'm asking for assistance, you might say, well, in that case, we would help more directly because we would know the person better. We would know their true situation. We would be able to engage on a level and we would know they weren't a serial abuser, uh, these kinds of things. So there is the possibility of using an outside organization, but doing some kind of a combination where you also do some internal benevolence, but perhaps limiting that only to your members. I have used outside organizations, and we use them effectively. Uh, I tell you the difference. In the first church I pastored, I was in a relatively small town where it was much easier to know a lot more people and to have interactions with the churches because there, there just weren't as many of us, and we were able to have a, a, a connectivity that was helpful. But I moved into Portland, Oregon, a major metropolitan area where we, f- we er- learned fairly quickly that we really couldn't manage a benevolence ministry for the community as well as we had in our smaller community where we had moved from. So when we moved to Portland and planted the church, we used this combination method that I'm speaking of. We, used, we did some benevolence internally with our members only, but we also made a contribution regularly to a community organization that was sponsored by the churches in the area and provided that kind of clearinghouse, that kind of accountability, that kind of uh, prevention of serial abusers uh, that we really wanted to go on. And in a larger metropolitan area, we have a lot more people you're dealing with, and it's a lot harder to really know your community. We found this to be a very helpful approach. Okay, so outside organization or even a combination with an outside organization is one approach or one model for benevolence ministry. A second model is to use an, a, a committee or a task force or your deacons or deaconesses in your church to manage your benevolence uh, processes. 
Now, depending on how your church is set up and how you're governed and how you're organized, you can do it by any of these means. But what you're basically saying is you're going to choose a small group of people in your church and assign them the task of leading the benevolence ministry. So it could be a benevolence ministry, a compassion task force. It can be the deacon deaconesses. Uh, whoever you assign it to uh, in your church polity, it's some small group that takes on the responsibility. Now, how can this be helpful? Well, first of all, it gives a small group of people who typically have a uh, passion for this kind of ministry the responsibility to do it. Um, it also gives you uh, greater control over the fundraising appeals that may go out on behalf of the Benevolence Fund, because now that it's an organized ministry of your church, the church would control those appeals, just like it controls appeals for mission dollars or for building funds or for other kinds of uh, financial gifts. You'd be able to channel both the appeals and the, uh, the way the gifts are received uh, through the normal functions of your church. Uh, another positive about this is uh, it allows a small group of people to develop real expertise in the area of benevolence ministry. Uh, they develop diagnostic abilities. They develop some check, some checklists or some questionnaires that they use. Uh, they develop some policies and procedures that they, that they can commonly use that really give some substance uh, to the ministry. And especially this group can can also lead out in laying out the answer to one of those first questions, and that is the kind of benevolence assistance we're going to provide so that they can say, you know, we do food, clothing, and shelter, or we do uh, medical care, or we do transportation, or we do utilities. But these are the things that we do, and here are the things that we don't do, and that helps to give definition as well. And the small group can work through that, talk through it, pray through it, come to some conclusions, and then support each other when pressure comes to go outside the parameters because someone has just such a real need. Well, there's always someone with just such a real need. That's why you have policies, because you've said, we understand there's more need than we can meet, but these are the kinds of needs we really can meet. And when I talk about this developing of, of uh, expertise, let me give you just one example. Uh, when I was uh, in the church where our deacons uh, ran the benevolence ministry, uh, we received a phone call from a fellow one time. He said, I'm passing through town. I'm staying down here at this uh, hotel. It was a fairly nice hotel. He said, I was out running. I lost my wallet. Um, I'm in a bad situation here. Uh, I'm a Christian man. I, I need help. And I just wonder if you can give me enough money. Uh, to get me through the day and tomorrow so that I can get home and then get myself put back together, get my you know credit cards replaced, get my driver's license replaced, get everything taken care of. Well, okay, we got that benevolence phone call. Uh, one of our deacons uh, said, great, I'll take care of it. He picked up another deacon. They went down to see the fellow. Well, when they got there, uh, this was a guy that was overweight uh, and uh, uh, about maybe 45 years old and so uh, they met him there in the lobby of the, room, of the hotel, and, and the deacon said, uh, now, let me see, I got this call, and the notes I have are that, that you were out running, and you lost your wallet. And he said, yeah, I, I did. I, I was out running. I run about five miles a day. I try to stay, you know, stay active, I, uh, you know, and I, I lost my wallet. Well, the deacon that was asking him the questions had run two marathons. He was in his mid-40s also and kept himself in really good shape. So he took a good look at this guy and thought, this just doesn't add up. I mean, this guy is not running five miles a day. Uh, there's something wrong with this story. So he kept probing and asking. And, and the more he asked and the more he probed, the more he, he thought, 
The story just doesn't add up. But he wasn't conclusively able to prove this guy was a fraud or was trying to get money from us. So he said, look, I appreciate the situation you're in, and we'd like to help you. And our church does provide emergency lodging for people and, uh, and, and food, money as well. And you, you, uh, you have your car, and it has enough gas to get you home uh, tomorrow down to your, where you're from. Yeah, I do. Okay. Well, if you'll gather your stuff up, we'll, we'll take you uh, down the street to the Super 8 Hotel, and there's a McDonald's across the street, and, uh, and we'll be glad to put you up there for the night and give you money to eat tonight and in the morning, and then you can be on your way. The guy blows up in anger. I'm not staying at the Super 8. I'm already checked in here. I'm not going to McDonald's. That's not good food. I need healthy food. And our friends, our deacon said, you know, the money that we're giving you was given by Christian people to help people in real need, and and we have a responsibility to use that wisely, so we'll gladly provide you a safe place to stay tonight, and the Super 8 Hotel is just fine. And the food may not be what you're accustomed to, but you can find a healthy option or two at McDonald's that'll get you on home tomorrow. And the guy blew up again, and the deacon said, you know, uh, we're just not able to help you. And they walked out. Now, they did that because they had some expertise. They interviewed a lot of people over the years. They had some policies and procedures to go by. But they also had their own personal experience to bring to the table and their spiritual uh, discernment in the moment. And when it became evident that this person was not willing to take the basic help we were offering to get him through the critical moment or the crisis moment he was claiming he was experiencing, then our guys were willing to walk out the door. That's what I mean when I say a small group can develop these kinds of, this kind of expertise, this kind of conviction, these kind of parameters, and can support each other as they make these kind of hard decisions. Well, an outside organization is one model. A committee or a task force is another model. And the third model is a small group model. And that's where you have a small group of people, uh, the home groups, Sunday school classes, et cetera, and you do your benevolence through uh, those groups. Now, why is that good? Well, it's closest to the needs of people. That's certainly true. Uh, they may know each other well and, and, be, and be able to discern you know, needs as they arise. Uh, they may also even spot need that people aren't even willing to admit or ask help for and say, look, we, we know you're hurting and we want to step forward and help you. So that's some of the advantages. But the disadvantages are also important. You know, when you're in a small group with 8 or 10 or 20 people, it's hard to say no to someone and maintain relationships. And sometimes no is the answer that has to be given to benevolence requests. It's also hard to manage it's your response because while one group may give help for certain things, another group in the church may not give help for those same things. And these uneven, these uneven responses may even be caused by uneven resources within the groups. For example, you may have a group of middle-aged or senior adults who have a lot of discretionary income, and you have a group of cash-strapped young adults or young married couples, and they're not able to help the same. So while small groups do have some advantage, I think the disadvantages of doing your benevolence only through your small group ministry in your church is actually significant enough that I would say stay away from that model. Now, it, it might be helpful in some uh, situations where maybe you have a small group that has a person in it that maybe has a serious illness or they have a sick child and the group rallies around to meet that need. I understand the good, need, the good things that can happen there, and I'm not against those good things. But I'm talking about maintaining an ongoing benevolence ministry through a church over a two- to ten-year period of time. 
I'm not sure just doing it organically through the small group structure is going to prove to be the best. Well, we've talked about key questions and models. Now let me just conclude the podcast with some best practices, maybe some things I've already mentioned and some things I might add to the uh, conversation. I would advise, first of all, that in your best practices, you decide what kind of needs you're going to meet and then limit your benevolence to those and those alone, which means you're going to say no to some hurting people. But you're only saying no so you can say yes to the needs of people that you feel you're best equipped to meet. Second, decide a limit on the amount of assistance that you're going to provide per instance and also per year. So you might say, for example, uh, we will provide $100 of food assistance per request, or we will provide up to $300 or $500 for a year to a particular family or need. This gives you the opportunity to respond individually, and if the person asks for a second or third time to be helped, it gives you an ultimate cap on what you'll do for any one person or situation. Third, uh, you need a simple application and record-keeping process. The application doesn't need to be all that detailed. Name, address, phone number, uh, number of people in the family, uh, and a one-paragraph statement of what was requested and what was given. I'd say keep this reporting to a single sheet of paper that you can enter quickly into a computer record. Develop a spreadsheet if you can that lists names and times of request and time and what's been offered and how you can, and the ability to keep up with this so it can be referenced as people make future requests and so that you're not having these serial requests or serial users that come through your system. And then fourth, decide who has the ability to receive and distribute the funds. I think it's best done that the church receives the funds, but who can distribute the funds? Well, if it's you set these limits, 100 and 500, and maybe you set even a monthly limit of how much can be distributed by the ministry, and then you simply turn that over to a small group and let them actually distribute the funds. They can hand out the gift cards. They can take people and pay for things. They can send the checks, uh, whatever needs to be done. But a small group can do it as long as there are limits set on what they can do. And then fifth, don't give cash to anyone ever. Pay bills directly. Uh, take people and buy the food for them. Uh, never give cash because cash gets too easily used on things that it was never intended for. It's used on things that are not really meeting the core needs of the people. And then finally, balance the compassion that motivates benevolence with the accountability that's needed to do it well. These things have to go together. That's why compassion drives us to give and to seek out need and to meet need and to even err on the side of giving when we're not quite sure because we don't want to err on the side of being selfish or greedy. But accountability means we keep some basic records. We know where the money went. We watch out for serial abusers. We have some limits on what we can do. And we hold to those, not because we lack compassion, but because we want to do the best job possible of meeting these individual needs. Well, we're coming toward Christmas. We're in the holiday season. Uh, we're coming into winter. Uh, we're having uh, a lot of people that are strapped by economic demands right now. Benevolence is on the rise. And so perhaps these principles will help your ch church to think through how it does benevolence ministry and to do it more effectively going forward. Benevolence ministry matters. 
It's a part of a healthy church, uh, healthy church outreach to its community and to its members. Put good practices into place in this important area as you lead on.